Welcome to the You Need More Money podcast. I'm your host, Matt Monero, where I come to each and every week from my studio in Dallas, Texas. My guest today has a wonderful talent when she provides advice on money to millions of people. She will tell it like it is and make you enjoy listening to her and watching her while she does it. I've been watching her for the last 15 years. I've learned so much from my guest today, particularly through her books, her constant appearances as the financial editor of the Today Show on NBC, and even her amazing new podcast called Her Money. I love the podcast. Thank you. It must be a combination of her wicked smarts, her Midwest upbringing, and just her downright pretty smile. It's my pleasure to welcome Jean Chatsky to the program today. Jean, welcome. Thank you, Matt. Gosh, I'm blushing here. And I told you, you've got a phone booth in your studio. I'm actually in a phone booth in in a, uh, I'm at the Cornell Club where I had a breakfast in New York City. And I was like, okay, I can't leave. I have to find a quiet place to do Matt's podcast. How, so how much have you said, I really don't want to do it? How much have you no, said, I want to do it? Oh, I fight that all the time. I, I fight that all the time. I'm like, cancel. And then they're like, no, we can't. I didn't say it for you, Gene, but for a lot of times I'm like, come on, I got other stuff I got to do. But I'm grateful that you did take the time. And I know the time is short for us. So I'd love to get right into it. You and I have a very unique connection that, that I didn't know about it until I listened to your podcast and you don't know about it, me, but we both went to cooking school. Really? Yeah. Now, I knew I went, but I, I didn't know you went. Where, where did you I go? I went to Johnson & Wales. In <gasps> oh, I'm jealous. Yeah. Wow. I actually thought That's I wanted really to be a good. chef. I wanted to be, I thought that was it. And then I, I got there and I was like, wait a minute, I got to work all, every weekend and every night and, and sort of be a night owl, even though I'm a morning person. And then I switched my major to hotel restaurant management. And that's what I graduated with, a degree in hotel restaurant management. I never wanted to be a chef, but... I wanted to be a food writer for a little while. Yeah. And I spent six months in cooking school. I went to this great master chef program at the new school here in New York City and very quickly put on about 10 pounds and decided <laughs> me and food spending that much time together, not such a good idea, but I love to cook. I love to entertain. I do it a lot. And um, I'm never unhappy that I spent that six months. Awesome. I tell you one thing that I realized why I wasn't a great chef, though, was because um, I guess two things. One, I never tasted the food. I'm such a climb the hill person. I was like, it's good. It's good. And then I realized deep into it that I wasn't cooking with love. And that's a huge difference. I mean, they, would you agree that there is a real there is a real tangible exchange of love from the chef to the food? Oh my God. Well, I'm Jewish. So, you know, food is love. Like that is, we feed people like this is, I, I, uh, I made a friend of mine laugh. He, he had lost his father, an Italian guy, um, that I worked with for many years, good friend at, at money magazine. He lost his dad. And I, I sent some food related thing with just a note that said, Jews send food. And, and he, uh, he, he wrote me back like he hadn't laughed all week, but this is what, this is what happens. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, I love to cook still, um, but I am a taskmaster when I cook, and I get the feeling that you're much more of an experiential cook. Would you say so? You know, I sort of feel my way through. I, I do... Um, 
I do have a weakness for Ina Garten and her recipes, and I, I will refer to those, but I, I, I'm a pretty, I can throw down. Like, I, I can throw, you know, we had 12 for dinner last weekend. I can do that. Killer. Wow, I love that. That's great. So that brings us to the topic of today's show as we digress back to what we're here for. You know, as I mentioned in the, in the, in the start of the, of the show uh, before we hit record, um, you know, the story, I, I'm on this mission because of my brother-in-law and the fact that uh, he died so early and left, left his family in, in tough spot. And um, my wife and I were able to drop in and fix that money situation um, during that period of time. But um, it, it, it created an, an unusual development in our family because um, at some point we had to say no more. And that was really weird, right? While mm-hmm. he was sick and we were trying to get him better, it was 100% we'll cover all your bills, let's take care of this thing, let's get you better. But then afterwards, you begin to start to say to yourself, well, now what? Is this the way it's going to be? Are we going to be fueling uh, a widow and four children forever? We had to make our own decision financially, Gene, and that's a tough spot. Yeah, incredibly. And, and I think parents on some level face it every day, right? When you're when you're looking at your kids and they're out of the house, but they're still on the cell phone and they're still on the health insurance and you want them to launch, you want them to do it on their own and, and they want to do it on their own. How do you get them there? Yeah. yeah to, to have to, to the ability to draw that line in the sand and say no more is a tough thing. Mm-hmm. Especially yeah. coming from that. But Gene, you've seen so much in your career as a financial expert. Have we as Americans changed over the last two decades financially are we yeah yeah okay well fill me in well how are we better better is not the word i would use necessarily we're different we're very different and we're different because we've been forced to be different right you think back not necessarily 20 years but 30 years pensions Mm -hmm. right health insurance they came with the job Maybe I had to pay a little bit, but probably not. You had a lot of confidence that Social Security would be there and Medicare would be there. Today, we have 401ks. We've got to put money in them ourselves or IRAs or SEPs or whatever. You know, it's a self-funded vehicle. We are paying more every single year for health care. It is a huge worry. And Social Security is in the headlines every single day, right? We're worried about... You know, we think, okay, it'll be around for us. And even if they don't fix it, it'll still be around in portion for us. But what about our kids? What about our grandkids? We, we don't have that belief anymore the way that we used to. Mm. And so we're different because all of these responsibilities are now on us. We are angry, right? It is fueling this populism that's rising in the US. And at the same time, we're not educated. We don't know what we have to do when we have to do it to fill in the gaps because nobody teaches us. So we are better then or or does that No, I think we're different. I, I think I think some of us are better. Some of us who have learned to work within the system are 
better, I suppose. Um, you know, when, when you are able to invest for yourself rather than relying on some pension fund to be invested for you, the upside is greater if you do it correctly or if you do enough of it. But uh, are we better off as a society? I, I don't know. I, I mean, I, I, think, I think a lot of people are not. Definitely. And, you know, I see it every day. I have this very unique economic view in which um, I see credit applications from, from common Americans, truckers, mm -hmm. towers, construction guys. Every day we see thousands of applications a month in my core business. And we don't see it getting better. We don't see bank balances going up. We don't see savings accounts. We see fear and stress in every customer of, I have to make more money, but um, I'm terrified that I have to buy more equipment and go into more debt to do it. It's just yeah. this constant dichotomy that's going on. Well, in debt, I mean, so I'm watching the numbers too. I'm watching, I don't get the bird's eye view that, that you get because I don't see applications, but I do watch the data releases and, and see for the first time since 2008, you know, mortgage, mortgage debt is climbing. We know student loan has been steadily climbing. Credit card debt is climbing once again. And auto loans too. And I, I worry about the lessons of the recession. Did we, did we learn not to take on too much? But at the same time, I hear, I hear what, what you are seeing in your applications with your customers because wages haven't kept pace, right. right? So even if you just want to tread water, you have to earn more, earn more, earn more, which requires taking on greater risk, which we may not be comfortable with. And, you know, I get to the point, and I think you're there too, because I see it in the title of your book, I can't fix the economy. You know, I, I'm not, I got a C in basic economics, <laughs> but I can focus on my own economy and your own economy. And that's sort of, we, we've been thrust into this era where we have to have more responsibility. And so what I want and, I, and what I think you want is for people to say, okay, I will accept it and I'll do what I have to do to take care of myself and my family. Yeah, because the security blankets that you talked about earlier, whether it's pension or it's um, even matching for that matter, or heavily uh, company-sponsored health insurance, or certainly Social Security, they just don't have the same longevity impact or quality of life impact that they maybe once did. Right, and even if, you know, so Social Security is fine, it's here, let's, let's go with that. It's only going to cover about 40% of what people need. Depending on what you want to live like. Right. Right, that's an average, but forty percent of what they have now. Okay, gotcha. So, um, but which is not I, enough. it's not, it's not even close. But here's what I do see, and I think your point earlier in the conversation was awesome, which is that when that security blanket goes away and we get control of it again, I look at it as a positive as an entrepreneur and a capitalist. I look at that as a positive, but a lot of people uh, don't understand. And so they live in this concept that I call in the book false positive, where we actually think we're doing better than we really are, right? The bills aren't coming on pink slips anymore. We can actually go to Disney World with the family. We can buy the $2,000 purse. We can get the fancy steak and nobody really feels it. But the reality is we're not moving the needle in net worth at all. 
And that happens year after year. And before you know it, it happens decade after decade. And now we're in our 40s and 50s and we're scared to death. Because saving is really hard. And saving is the thing that has to happen from preferably an earlier age. But even if you don't catch on until you're in your 40s or your 50s, that's the linchpin. And, And because we're so bad at it, and, and by the way, not only does nobody teach us to be good at it, but we're, we're just not wired that way, right? Human beings are not, they're wired for the stake. They're not wired to take the same sort of satisfaction that they get from the, the stake in the rising balance in their, in their yeah, IRA, totally, right? Totally. You'd rather eat it now, <laughs> right? So, so it's, it's, and, and the nice thing about modern society, the nice thing about technology is technology can fix this problem. Like if you buy into it, if you give yourself over to it and you start on this habit of allowing technology to just get some money out of your way so you won't spend it, you will be fine. You just have to, you just have to take that step. Yeah, we don't have to learn all the things that everyone tells us that we have to learn. We don't have to be a stock picker. We don't have yeah. to time the market. We don't have to do a lot of that stuff. I mean, you, you're you a big fan, as I am, of dollar cost averaging in a low cost index fund. Yep, dollar cost averaging, low cost index fund. If you're not going to rebalance your index funds, then just go with a target date. That is fine. Yep. But, but just, you know, do it, set it and forget it. I mean, if you're lucky enough to have a 401k that automatically enrolls you and automatically escalates your contributions till you get to the point where they need to be, you know this, right? Because it's happening around you, whether you chose it or not. I think something I heard on your podcast, uh, and I love that your podcast is dedicated just for women, I mean, I know that you'd be right. happy to have a man on it sooner or later, right? But we've had plenty of men. We, I didn't we've see had it. In, men. You've, how we many men have you had? You. We have had men, and we 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 appreciate the men in our audience. <laughs> but um, but yeah, we're speaking to women. Yeah, and 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 that's what I enjoyed so much about it because the the I, I listened to a number of the episodes, but one of my favorites was with Brene Brown. Huge uh. fan of Brene Brown. Um, I saw her speak a couple of years ago at an Inc. 5000 thing that we won, and um, I was just blown away by her. And my wife loves her, too, which is maybe why I like Brene Brown, because I know that that's right. I can say, oh, well, Brene Brown has this podcast uh, with Jean called Her Money. You should listen to the episode. And my wife will listen to that episode. Right? Yeah, if she's, a, she's a rock star. She's amazing. But she said something in your podcast with her, uh, and I, I'm, I'm paraphrasing slightly, but she said women – put their heads in the sand and men hide because they're guilty. And you guys had a wonderful dialogue about that. But the gist of it is that a lot of women defer their financial responsibility to the man. That doesn't mean that they're not working women. They could be. And the man, because he's not getting it right, begins to shut down in that conversation over guilt or fear or I'm behind and I think it's such a that that one sentence is so massive to me. Yeah, because it means we're not helping each other, right? We're not solving the problem, and it sounds like that's very much what happened with your brother-in-law. That that he he knew he wasn't doing it, 
but he, he was sort of deferring or shut down, shutting down because he wasn't, he didn't understand how important it was to do it now. Not just him. I did it. And I even talk about it in my book. I did it with my wife early on in the business. I've been in business 23 years. The first decade was hell. Um, which I think is important for a lot of entrepreneurs to understand that what you're seeing on social is really not the path that most entrepreneurs have to go, right? You, you, most people will have to really put in an extended period of time of, of misery to be able to, I call that the pain side of your business, to get into mm-hmm. the pleasure side eventually, hopefully. Um, and I lied to my wife about it. My wife's name is Rocky, a little five foot two redhead spitfire, but I lied to her. I told her we were doing better than we were. And that eventually caught up to me when the electric bill kept getting turned off. And, you know, she would she would buy into my BS for, for an extended period of time. And then finally, she just called me out. And that was a real watershed moment for me. But but I know that millions of men deal with that same level of guilt of and, and I love how Brene and you talked about it, which was. It's not that we're failing it's that we really don't know how to win at it right but again nobody teaches us Mm -hmm. right we we when you and i were kids we did not i I don't think our parents expected the system to shift around them so maybe they taught you to save a little bit to put some money in your piggy bank or something but this this idea that you needed an education on credit and um, and how to grow your money and asset allocation like that that's that's new that's that's foreign and I I agree with you I think um, I think it's it's but what parents did pass along to their sons was this idea that you have to take care of your family mm-hmm. right so you put the two of those things together. This is your responsibility. Nobody's going to teach you how to do it. And I, I get the guilt, head in the sand, white lies that, that come along with it. I, I, it's, I think it's very understandable because you feel like you're letting somebody down all along the way. And, and women are coming along now. Like the, the fastest growing segment of the population, I believe, is single women. Um, and, or, you know, it, it, all these things, it depends on how you measure it. But the number of single women is growing really quickly. And we need to, whether or not we are in relationships where, where our earning power is finally coming along, and we need to figure out what do we have to do in order to maximize this new power that we have. So, Gene, how do we do it? What is your advice to um, to both sides? What would you say to the man who is who is really living in false positive, afraid to that he has not been the uh, breadwinner, the caveman, the security blanket that we all believe we are supposed to be? Um, what would you say to that person on on a strategy that he could come clean to his spouse? Or conversely, perhaps the woman is the is the winner, mm-hmm. red winner, and and she may be living in false positive too. Let's not discount the fact that right. that happens I, for sure. I would say I would say first of all, your spouse knows. Your spouse already knows. Ooh. Even if your spouse 
even if your spouse doesn't know that they know, they know because you are telegraphing the stress. You're bringing it home with you every single day. Mm. And so having a conversation about it is really important, but it's not like it's a secret. It is not a secret. Um, and, and I would say, look, I, I talk on my podcast about the fact that I talk about money for a living, but I don't particularly like to talk about it with my husband. Mm. But I don't, you know, it's, it's not, they're the ins and outs and, and I am the primary breadwinner. So, you know, this is what's coming in. This is what we're going to do with it. These are our responsibilities. This is what it's looking like with all the different kids and blah, blah, blah. I, I don't love those conversations. I like the conversations about what our future is going to look like. I like the dreaming conversations. Let's go to Paris. I like that. But so we schedule it and, and we, we, We'll often, I like to do this in the car. Like we'll often just, you, we're on a car ride for an hour. We're going to, we'll, we'll tee it up so that neither one of us is surprised. And then we'll just, we'll just talk about it. And sometimes it's unpleasant and uncomfortable, but you get through it and you get, and you move on to the good stuff and you have to spend a little bit of time on the good stuff. And, and I think, I think spouses like to hear from each other a message of, I need you. You know, whether it's, I need you to help me write this, you know, letter, or I need you to turn on the sprinklers, or I need you to go through this finance thing with me so that we're both on the same page and I feel better about it. Mm. Like, I, I think an I need you message is always welcome, and you shouldn't feel scared about that. I tell you what has worked for my wife and I is that scheduling thing because I'm the guy who drops in and says, hey, guess what we're about to talk about? And she doesn't like that yeah. surprise. So I love yeah. your suggestion of, of scheduling and, and literally whatever that is that says every Sunday, whatever whatever that period of time is. But the fight occurs when the other person says, I feel like talking about it now and the other person is not even ready. They, they're on some other plane and all of a sudden you start talking about change and they were spending too much or whatever. It's it's really important. Massive takeaway, schedule that one. Yeah, and I think life can get you there too. Like if you're feeling like you need some sort of an excuse to have this conversation, every year we go through major life changes and they all have some sort of financial element, right? We're going to have a kid. We're going to have a grandkid. We're, we want to help. We're going to change jobs. Maybe we're going to move. Maybe we're going to renovate the bathroom. Like there, there are so many different ways to get into this conversation that have absolutely nothing to do with opening a bill. Mm, gotcha. Gotcha. I like that. Let's, if you don't mind, I'd like to ask your opinion on and I hate to be, be uh, male or female on it, but I do think it's massive, this guilt that men feel about their um, inability to provide endlessly and financially. And do you think that that's just a, you know, put your big boy pants on and, and man up, go out into the marketplace, earn more money, bring home more bacon? Or is there a much deeper level that, I'm oversimplifying for a guy. I don't know that every guy feels it. I mean, I mean, I think in some ways it's generational, but I, I, um, 
you know, I, I hear a lot from my millennial women listeners that they're the primary breadwinner, that, that it's not as much of an issue for them as it might have been for my generation. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I do think, I mean, my husband is a focus group of one, but he is, you know, I earn more than he does. He takes care of other things that I don't take care of. Like we're, as long as you're, I, I do think society gets really, really judgy on this issue. And so I don't think, I think, I think a couple's financial life, a family's financial life that's your own business mm-hmm. and you close ranks and you don't let outside friends or in-laws or other people who have opinions on the right way to do things impact you as long as you guys are happy in your relationship. I'll go, I'll go a thousand percent uh, with that. I'm just a little skewed because uh, my Rocky reminds me all the time that that's my job. Yeah, well, so, you know. We so have then, clarity. We have clarity yeah. in those roles in my house. I love that your wife's name is Rocky. I had a producer at the Today Show whose name was Rocky, and she was awesome. Yeah, I mean, you have to be with the name. It's R-O-K-K-I on the birth certificate that way. Really? Yeah, it's not like Raquel shortened. It's R-O-K-K-I. Right. Well, the Rocky I knew, her name is Joanne, so. <laughs> <laughs> well, Jean, let's, let's finish on what I like to call the money game. I want people to understand that it's not too late. So uh, we've already touched on this, and I hope it didn't. the audience didn't glaze over, but one of the key components to being financially secure is the earlier start, the compound interest effect, the ability to, to move in, make moves in your 20s that are much harder to make uh, at the same deposit level in your 40s. So somebody's in their 20s. What is the key financial advice you give to somebody in their 20s? get to the point where you're saving 15%. And that can include matching dollars. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't care exactly where it comes from, but if you are doing that, you've pretty much solved for most other things, right? You haven't solved for you need a will when you have a kid, but you have, you have solved the biggest problem you're ever going to have, which is saving enough. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know what? It's probably one of the few times where actually 15% is a workable number. It's the decade of your 20s because compound can actually make up the gap. Let's move to our 30s. And I like to paint this visualization, right? This is the young couple. They're... um, they're, they're, you know, maybe moving up the corporate ladder in some capacity. Um, they're probably starting to earn more now. They're getting a little bit of confidence, but they have these, you know, two kids picket fence sort of thought process. And um, they're starting to wonder how the heck are they going to pull it off? They've actually had that first glimmer of, wow, I, I, this is going to be harder than I thought to actually retire. What do we do? What do we tell the 30-somethings? Well, we tell them to keep going, right? We tell them that that 15% that you put on autopilot, that stays on autopilot. The, the 30s right now, they've got the student loans that they're still retiring in many cases. They're straggling today and yesterday and tomorrow. And so I would say don't get so laser focused on having to retire those debts that it prevents you from investing in tomorrow. It's okay 
to pay off the student loans on the schedule they've given you. It's okay to go on income-based repayment if it allows you to amass a down payment for a home and buy something. So now it begins to get very difficult, though, because this next decade of the 40s, they didn't do it in the 20s. They probably didn't really do it in the 30s. The 40s, they're moving up the ladder. They're starting to make good money, middle management, upper management. Um, and perhaps they now have the big house and they've got the cars and the kids are now pushing teens and they're starting to panic about college and they know they're underfunded in the retirement and they still carry debt, whether it's mortgage or car or student loan debt still. What are we telling somebody who's now officially behind in their 40s? Lifestyle makeover. Like this is when, this is when you need, if, if that's the scenario that you're describing, if you haven't done it in your twenties and you haven't done it in your thirties, your forties is when you have to say, I have to take a step back. And it might be a big one in terms of my lifestyle in order to make up this ground. And so maybe it's a smaller house. Maybe it's a, a one less car. Maybe it is a second spouse who hasn't been in the workforce back in the workforce to earn more. Maybe it's a, a, another business. Like you, you got to work one side of the equation or the other. And if you can earn significantly more and maintain the lifestyle, then you can save. If you can't earn significantly more, then you got to downshift and, and pump the savings away. And we got to go past the fifteen percent, then, right? Now we've got to start. Well, yeah. I mean, if you haven't done anything, you got to get to twenty, maybe. And and I don't have a retirement calculator in my head, but right. got to. And and the other thing, though, that you can do, and because we're all living longer, you can do it more readily than before, is acknowledge I'm going to work till sixty-eight. I'm not going to work till 65. I'm going to give myself three additional years on the end of the calendar. And that makes a, a huge amount of difference. Now, this is the saddest decade. The next question from the money game. It's the 50s in which maybe the spouse hasn't been in the workforce because he or she was managing the household and the children. The children are now moving through college and they're behind. And they know that time is no longer on their side for compound interest. It's still on their time for longevity, right? If the average male lives to 80 and the average female lives to 84 and going to go longer, mm -hmm. they still have 30 plus years. But they're now starting to say, Gene, which I think is the saddest thing that I see in, in this demographic, they're starting to say, not in my lifetime. Yeah, I mean, I hear it too. No, no question. And I think it is, it is demoralizing. But this is the time where the responsibilities are starting to move off your plate. Mm -hmm. once again, right. And so that downshifting with the kids in the house is hard. That downshifting once the kids are out of the house is eminently possible, whether it means going to a lower tax state whether it means going to a, a neighborhood that's lower tax, like you can actually start to focus on you again at this point, and you should. Um, because if you don't, those kids are going to have to take care of you. Mm -hmm. And that's, for most people, that is the, that's enough. To know that the kids are going to have to take care of you is not what people want. No, no way. I'm, I'm dealing with both my mother and my mother-in-law. 
right? And yeah. it causes a lot of stress, not for me so much because their needs aren't that huge, right? I mean, it's a couple thousand yeah. bucks a month, but, but, but what is huge is the feeling that they don't quite have the freedom that they had because they, they have to live on such a narrow band of fixed income. Yeah. Let's go to the last one, which is the 60s, which I actually think is perhaps the most complicated because I see this all the time. And I think I'm even beginning to experience this. You start to say to yourself, well, wait a minute, maybe I actually do have enough. Like, like maybe I lived my whole life afraid of not having enough and I chased it and chased it and chased it and I gave up some happiness and I gave up some pleasure and it was on my mind all the time and I sacrificed but now actually, I, I might actually be all right. I actually can pull this thing off. What do we tell somebody in their 60s on how do they begin to make that scenario, that analysis of whether or not they actually can pull this thing off and retire financially secure? So get some help. That's what we tell people. Because no matter how many scenarios you and I run on the radio, um, it's not personalized enough to deal with individuals and the special needs child and the fact that they want to have a second house over here. Like you need personal advice to make sure that you actually can do it. Yeah. Um, you need to run the social security calculation really carefully um, because there is more money there. If you do it right, you need to take um income for life into consideration, right? We tell people accumulate, accumulate, accumulate. What we don't tell them is, okay, it is just as hard to take all that money that you accumulated and make it last as long as you do. And that is a different, but very important process calculation. So you got to solve for that. Um, and I think heading into retirement is exactly when you do that. And the other thing I think people need to hear is that you don't have to stop working. Yeah. People are happier when they are continuing to work. And so you find something that you like to do, even if it's earning a little bit less than you're earning now, you want to get into a, a, a plan where you can transfer your skill set and your time into something that will sustain you longer because you know if you don't just want to play golf and garden you need to do something with your time yeah i mean i love i love the title on a business card and it's usually europeans that have it it's called um it's called merchant banker and i i believe it's really what americans call consultants but it's yeah. it's the ultimate for someone in their 60s who can take this massive skill set this expertise that they built up and still be able to stay in the workforce and perhaps even leverage it for all the gap that they may need. So, uh, Gene, I want to thank you for being with me. I know time was tight for you, and I'm grateful that you took some time to spend with me. So it was a pleasure to meet you. I mean, really, I have learned so much from you over the last 15 years, and I have been a massive fan of yours. I followed everything, and I thank love you. the new podcast, Her Money. Oh, thank you, and and um, congratulations on what you've built. I mean, I think I think when people come along and are inspired to do this for a personal reason, it always resonates and um, clearly what you're resonating is doing. So thank you for having me on. You got it, Gene. Thanks so much. I'll see you thank down you. the road. Okay. Bye. Bye. That's our episode this week with your host, Matt Monero. Check us out every Friday at 12 p.m. Central as we discuss money, your life, and how you need more money.